I'm R.J. Bill. Here comes the sports betting headlines for Monday. Revenge of the Chalk. We've got three number one seeds left and a number two remain. But Cinderella is not yet a pumpkin. Two double-digit seeds remain. Two games tonight. Baylor favored by 7.5 over Arkansas. Houston by 8 over Oregon State. None of the games in the Elite Eight have a spread less than 7. Here comes a four-hour of the Vegas Truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. This is Straight out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it. I'm R.J. live in Las Vegas, live on a big Monday, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. Ooh, the madness, as they say, no doubt about it. But really not a ton of close games. We had that Alabama game. That was... uh, Interesting. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans to know more than their buddies. And what we do on days like this is we look backwards. What did we learn? And then we look forward with two games tonight. I'm the pro. He's the Joe in L.A., Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we've got the fight for the Final Four picking up later on this evening. We've also got some news and more reverberations from the big trade in the NFL last Friday. But what is the Vegas lead here on this Monday? Let's look back at the Sweet 16 round, and then we'll look forward at the these Elite Eight games. Yeah, you mentioned it. We had one really good game in the Sweet 16. It was Alabama and UCLA on Sunday night. But for the most part, there was pretty dominant performances with the Elite Eight set. Three number one seeds advanced past the Sweet 16. To go along with those three number one seeds, we also have three teams representing the Pac-12. Now, shouldn't in the headlines on Straight Out of Vegas, shouldn't the Michigan domination of Florida State be there? (laughs) I mean, Fez was supposed to be in today. He called in sick. We're going to try to get him in for tomorrow. I got to be honest. I was watching the game, and uh, Sleepy Jay, a guy that works for us, was in town, and he was at the house. We were watching it, and Michigan was up about 18 with four minutes. I'm like, I want to embarrass him. I I want it to be that he doesn't show his face. But I guess we achieved that. We achieved that. But I agree with you. Obviously, there was a good many blowouts. And then that Alabama-UCLA. Let's talk about the talk radio stuff to start. Um, Not our specialty, but we touch on the big stories. They didn't foul. There was the three made at the end, send it to OT. Obviously, in hindsight, UCLA being able to withstand that body blow and win, if anything, can g- gains confidence, you would think. Like, after the fact, if you could choose, you win that game in regulation or if you win it the way UCLA did. I kind of like the way they won it moving forward, but obviously there was a chance they could have lost – where do you come down on the whole coaching at the end of that game? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, you can make the argument they should have fouled and sent them to the line as opposed to giving them an opportunity to tie it. I My big takeaway from that game was 
we don't see a lot as many comebacks when teams are down double digit in the NCAA tournament from, from my vantage point, like we see in the NBA. And it could be a, several things. It could be, you know, the, the games are longer in the NBA. The shooting is better in the NBA, whatever the case may be. But Alabama was down double digits at halftime. They clawed all the way back. They took a lead a couple of times late in that game, but it felt like once they got into overtime, they just ran out of steam, and UCLA ran away with it. And I just wonder if they exerted so much to try and get mm. back into the game that they were empty by the time overtime started. And to me, in general, it's my belief that when there's playoff games, especially when it's one and done, and the motivation of the team favored is optimal, it helps uh, stopping comebacks generally. As you say, comebacks are not as common and in college basketball in the tournament, and I think because usually the favorite or the team that's winning is motivated. They're not going to be lax. They're not thinking yeah. about what kind of shrimp they're going to eat after the game. They're thinking we win this game, and, and I agree with you. Now, here's a paradox that I want to consider. On one hand, modern basketball, and I think we're seeing this in the Sweet 16 round. We saw it. Modern basketball says more threes are better. People go, um, I got some news for you. Threes more than two. You know, you hear that all the time, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, it seems like the shooting from a distance in the NCAA tournament, outside shooting, is struggling. And I think it's unequivocal it was struggling over the weekend. And now they're moving to Lucas Oil for these games tonight, which has a history, as Fezzik has told us, of unders. If you look at the totals here on tonight's games, Baylor-Arkansas, the line is Baylor 7.5 or 8. Total is 147.5. That's down from 150. So 2.5 points down. Oregon State-Houston, Oregon's about 8, 8.5. Eight or check that. Houston's 8, 8.5. Eight Total about 130, down from 131. So the betters are saying under. History says under. And why would it be under the sight lines, the backdrops in a big stadium, a bigger arena? It's tougher to shoot. But isn't outside shooting the best way to win in modern basketball? So at least in the NCAA, maybe outside shooting wins you more games during the regular season because of the efficiencies. But the combination of nerves, you're going to be nervous. Unlike, you know, Colin used to say you can't win in the NBA with outside shooting. Now, Golden State changed that, but I think his general premise right here on FSR is correct. As you get nervous, it's tougher to do the stuff that takes a delicate touch, where if you're inside and being more physical, it's easier. But the more efficient way to shoot is shooting outside. Three is better than two, as they say. It's kind of an interesting old school, new school battle. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. We've ta- You guys have pointed this out before. The Super Bowl, the opening quarter in the Super Bowl is another example. That's, you know, the Nerf. final game. Yeah, it, you, they, the scoring is usually low. Game sevens, we usually see game sevens in the NBA to where a lot of times they're struggling to find points just because you ratchet up the pressure a little bit. And I can recall, was it UConn and, and Butler, I believe? UConn and Butler were playing in the national championship game, and they were awful shooting. And I think that might have been in Houston, but that was also in a dome to where the sidelines yep. threw those guys off last game of the season for all the marbles and neither team shot the ball well at all we're straight out of vegas i'm rj bell that's jonas Knox. another takeaway macro in the ncaa tournament 
is west of the Mississippi. Seven of the eight teams west of the Mississippi. Now, L.A., Vegas, I feel pretty good about that, I guess. But um, obviously part of that's the Pac-12 and, and how well they've played. Any thoughts on the geographic end? And, and you think about it, the SEC, the ACC, you know, Duke, Kentucky, down, down years in this pandemic year, and it seems like that the uh, opportunity has been taken up by the teams on the West. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the travel implications are for this tournament. Meaning, I, I, I I'm curious whether or not teams being able to travel to just one location and knowing where they're going to go every single weekend as we do this tournament, if, if that's helping these teams or if maybe it's affecting more teams because maybe these West Coast teams... Well, which, go, which teams would it, would it help? Maybe I'm just thinking the teams in the tournament who are able to focus in without having to worry about where we're traveling, um, you know, us getting there. Maybe these L.A. teams, these teams in California are happy to get out of the state, you know, just happy to get out and go somewhere. What are you saying about your state, Jonas? Well, I'm saying it's been shut down for a little while now. You know, <laughs> now, it's starting to open up. But Here's my here's my question, though. It seems like that, that any team – Whatever the benefits of the uh, you know, quasi-bubble or the one location, it seems like all teams would share that equally. Yeah. I, I could see one thing that I thought of when you were talking, and here's the thing. This isn't science. This is about trying to figure out what a great gambler does is he finds scenarios, influences, factors that aren't obvious, right? And one thing I would say is this. If you look at a team like the Seattle Seahawks, way up there, on the left top of the map, United States, you look at their travel miles, they're always much bigger than, you know, you don't realize it takes, or at least I don't, to even from San Francisco up to Seattle up, you know, it's a ways up there. And it's like to get like, obviously there's the stories about Seattle to Miami and it takes, you know, seven hours or whatever. Maybe the West Coast teams that intrinsically are going to have those travel disadvantages, especially when they turn it around between rounds, and, and it's like they play the two games, then they typically go home, right? And then they go to the yeah. next place. Boy, it, maybe that's a little part of it is the, the, the amount of traveling the West Coast teams typically do depresses their results. And it's not a concern this year because they're not doing the traveling. Yeah, and I've also wondered how many people actually knew enough about Pac-12 basketball to properly seed them. Because as we're watching these teams... But why, but look, why wouldn't that be the case every year? I, I, that's the thing. I, I'm trying to come up with a reason why the Pac-12 is so good right now and a conference like the Big Ten isn't outside of Michigan. Yeah, and it's It could bizarre. be like Fezzik and I had our heads up on and I had Michigan. It could be just <laughs> 10 games or 10 games. Yeah. Right? And things happen in 10 games. Yeah. And uh, I would say this. I believe the Pac-12 doing well has more merit to it than the Big Ten doing poorly. Because looking at Michigan, a team that didn't even win the Big Ten, yeah. they could be as good as anyone. In the, I mean, they, they certainly could. In fact, I'm not sure they're not the second best team. Right? So at least my opinion. Gonzaga yeah. is clearly the best. Yeah. So... If Michigan doesn't even win the Big Ten, but they are so good, I don't think it was the Big Ten was so bad. I think Illinois ran into a Loyola team that was just really playing well that day. And we don't know if the coach getting job offers, you know, whatever it is that made them underperform this weekend. It, it strikes me that in general, 
the Pac-12, there's enough of these teams doing well, you can say, because remember, when you lose, you're done. Yeah. That's one loss. When you win a third game, now you've won three. If you actually just look at the Pac-12, the over-under for wins, the entire tournament was three and a half for them. And they've got 13 wins so far with three teams remaining. So they've, I mean, they're 10 over the number of wins expected. To me, that Pac-12 up arrow is bigger, bolder, redder than the down arrow for the Big Ten, in my opinion. Thoughts? I totally agree. Um, and, and we've talked about this in the tournament. It could take, you could have a bad four-minute stretch in the second half, and it's over. I mean, you, you get one shot at this. It's one take. So the fact that the Pac-12 has had one take and gotten it right 13 times, I think says more about what their conference has done than it does the Big Ten and, and their failures. Last thing about our, our look back, at least initially, Oregon State. This is a paradox. We're having paradoxes today. Do you look at the season or do you look at the recent run? Because for the season, Oregon State, not all that impressive. In fact, my understanding is they wouldn't have made the tournament if they didn't win their conference tournament. That's right, McKenzie. Oregon State won the conference tournament? That's right, and they needed to win that Pac-12. That's yeah. what I thought. Okay. So, on one hand, a team here... If it doesn't win its tournament, it could have had zero wins in the regular season and still won the tournament and got in. So it was like that much of a long shot. But now let's look at their last six games. Last six games for Oregon State, they were an underdog in every game. If you had taken $1, Jonas, and bet on Oregon State to win the first game, then you let it ride. Next game, next game, next game. Six straight games, your $1 would be over $3,000 right now. Wow. So wow. if you had bet a hundred to start, it'd be three hundred thousand dollars from your hundred dollar bill, <laughs> beating uh, UCLA, Oregon, Colorado, Tennessee, Oklahoma State, Loyola. Now tonight, there are eight eight and a half point underdogs. Luckily, before the end of the t- hour at six fifty, and that's when we make you better than fifty percent. Six fifty, Jonas, better than fifty percent. <laughs> we'll be breaking down tonight's games, but when we come back, we're going to go to the NFL and the aftermath of the trade from San Francisco. We made uh, the trade for the number three pick. We made some speculations on Friday. Some of them have looked good. Some of them aren't quite the way things are going. We'll break that down. That's coming up next, but first, Straight out of Vegas is brought to you by AutoZone. AutoZone has more ways for you to start your job your way. That means getting what you need fast. Some jobs can't wait. That's why AutoZone offers free same-day store pickup. Free next-day delivery is available on over 100,000 parts. Visit AutoZone.com today to start your job fast. Get in the zone. AutoZone. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. What's up, everyone? It's me, three-time NFL All-Pro Sean Marion, and I have a new sports podcast called the Lights Out Podcast with Sean Marion. This podcast is special to me as I get a chance to talk to some of the best who've ever done it on the field or the track. So whether it's talking to a Super Bowl champion or a NASCAR Cup Series champion, the Lights Out Podcast will bring it to you the only way I know how to. I'm giving you the best insight from the best who's ever done it. Listen to Lights Out with Sean Merriman on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you can get your podcast. 
I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments from now, we will get into some quarterback situations in the NFL. Yeah, I tell you, this um, this tournament's fascinating because remember, Jonas, we've got our bet over 10 and a half seeds in the final four. So if it's like, if it ends up being one, 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 two, that's going to be five. So it's way under, right? That's chalky. We said over 10 and a half. We thought we were gold initially, <laughs> but we, we, it just goes to show you all you can do, all you can do is get the best of it and hope you win 55% of the time. And we still got a chance, but we went from looking like it was almost a lot. If Houston, if I'm not mistaken, Houston was losing. It, was it the second round, I think? Yes. I yeah, believe. I think so. Yeah. And if they had lost that game, we would have had a guaranteed winner because all the teams left would have been enough to bring us over. And here we are where it could be 1-1-1-2. One, 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 so so you, you, just, you really are banking on Oregon State and UCLA. That's where uh, the money lies. If one of them wins, we're in, right? Now, there's also, a, I guess, another scenario – I'm not even sure if there's another scenario. I was looking. I'll look at it before the last segment. Yeah, if USC wins, that's a seven. With a two and a one and a one, it would just get us to 11. Well, that first of all, that means win is what you're saying. It, we would win. <laughs> yes. We don't get any extra points for, for winning by a lot. Let me tell I mean, Fez is only going to pay me that 400. He's not just because Michigan lost by that much. So you, you need one Pac-12 team. So the Pac-12 really is the linchpin to this win. Like they're, Ooh, they're Okay, so it. you're saying if any of the Pac – now that's a good eye. So what you, so one more time, what the bet is, if you add up the sum of the final four seeds, is it over or under 10.5? We gave a big old bet, big old bet on the over. It looked good. Now we're not so sure. Now what Jonas is saying is if UCL or USC wins – or UCLA, or Oregon State, Do we ha- does all three lock us up if just one wins? If USC wins, we'll need Arkansas to win as well. Okay, so if USC wins, we would need a number two or, or a four, I guess, in that case, to win two. Yeah, and so Oregon there's three- State and UCLA yeah. get you in automatically. Yes, and what we'll talk about before in the last segment at 650 – where we do better than 50%, 650, is <laughs> that's going to stick, fetch. <laughs> but, 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 but here's the thing, is if you look at number one seats, they win the first round almost always, one time, they have it. Second round, like a crazy amount, like 90%. Third round, to get to the Elite Eight, they win a ton. In fact, this is an amazing stat. More number one seeds get to the lead eight. The number five seeds win the first game. Wow. I mean, that since 1985. It's just number ones just win out. Because remember, they're playing eight, nine. They usually have a pretty easy second game. And, and, and the committee, let's be honest, the committee makes those eight, nines easy, you know, unless Wichita State's in, then they'll put, you know, Kentucky in an eight. But in general, <laughs> that eight, nine's not tough. And then they win, you know, again, all of them were favored in the Sweet, in the sweet 16 to get the Elite Eight. Now, here's what's fascinating. In the Elite Eight, straight up, they're just a little bit over 50%. So it's like they win, 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 and then that step before the Final Four, the number one seeds have a lot of trouble. So we'll see what happens here, but, and we'll be doing that at 650. This is the fastest-growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audience has doubled in the last year plus. Thank you so much. 
for the support. We're going to keep working extra hard to help you win, help you be a smarter sports batter. You can listen to us on 225 FSR stations. You can go to foxsportsradio.com and find out the best station in your area. Or you can just listen streaming right there here in Vegas on the Strip. Oh, it's springtime. 84 degrees. The neon is chugging. So, RJ, following the big trade on Friday in which the 49ers moved up to number three in the NFL draft, the discussion has come become not just with San Francisco and what they do with Jimmy Garoppolo, but elsewhere at the top of the draft with quarterback situations involving every team. And there was a pro day, Zach Wilson getting a standing ovation. Yeah. What was your impression, Zach? It just, here's what I always find fascinating and a little bit concerning for the Jets. I don't care about the Jets, but you know what I'm saying. Is the idea that Zach Wilson would have been drafted where a year ago? Yeah, that's a good Maybe, point. I don't know. I, yeah, not. I don't think he's a first-rounder. Uh, yeah, well, I think almost for sure. Mackenzie, see if you can just see what the speculation was. And, you know, take a minute maybe, but... My thought is not much at all, right? Maybe undrafted, I guess. We'll see. But now a year later, against very questionable competition, yep. wasn't BYU's fault. And to be candid, them taking that Coastal Carolina game was a great thing to me. On, on like three days' notice, they traveled. It was courageous. It really was. You just don't see teams do that. So I love that. And Coastal Carolina's a good team, but – if you can go from if it's a year ago, you're not pay, you know you're you're not going to be drafted highly. Now you're the number two pick behind. Let's be candid, the best prospect in people's minds since Andrew Luck, mm-hmm. who was the best prospect since John Elway. So it's like you could make the case this is like the third best prospect, Trevor Lawrence, in the last thirty years. And I don't think you'd be all that. I mean, you know, it'd be close. And then the next guy, a guy the Jets are effectively turning down the deal that San Francisco gave to Miami. You know that if San Fran could have had the second pick, they would have wanted it. Now, I know the reports came down that, oh, they didn't even talk to the Jets, which brings up your brilliant point from last week. One of the reasons San Fran, Jonas, your point was, one of the reasons maybe that San Fran made a trade is because they have friends in the Jets organization, you know, the former D.C. there is the head yeah. coach, Salah, is it was a situation that uh, it feels like they knew who they were going to have available to them at three or how else do you even make the trade and then the fact that the Jets didn't even get approached means effectively they did, but they got rebuffed. And it's like, no. And then it's like, well, who are you going to pick? And then it allowed them to go to Miami. But the Jets don't want to look like that they were all talking about a trade. They want to look like they're strong on Zach Wilson. If they're going to take Zach Wilson, they want to look like they've been behind him the whole time. I guess to me, and we're looking at PFFs, Last year, August of 2020, they had a mock draft for this year, and Zach Wilson was not in the first round. Yeah. So we'll see if we find out where he would have been. But So the guy was in the first round, played a bunch of games against weak competition, and now he's 
the second pick in the draft, that concerns me a little bit. Yeah, and there was um, there were similar concerns about Joe Burrow, but here's the difference between Burrow and Zach Wilson. So Burrow's completion percentages and all his numbers shot through the roof in one of the great college football seasons, maybe the best in the history of college football at the quarterback position. Against great and, competition. Yeah, and that's the difference. He was doing it against the SEC. You've got Zach Wilson, who was doing it against teams in a weird season that aren't even close to SEC quality teams and it just feels like you know and and people pointed it out they show Zach Wilson making this cross body throw in his pro day and then somebody pulled up tape Sam Darnold did the exact same throw but he did it in an NFL game and I just wonder how much of an upgrade Zach Wilson really is over Sam Darnold because the hype is through the roof right now well that is exactly on get up today they put it on a screen they said Okay, think about effectively if they had taken the 49ers off. If the Jets said, we'll take that, right? It would have been, you could have Sam Darnold, the number 12 pick, where, you know, let's assume that they weren't going to trade up with Philly, all right? And then you were going to have another number one, another number one the next two years, yeah. and a number three this year, Sam Darnold, or Zach Wilson. Like, that, that effectively yeah. is the decision, yeah. right? And... Now, they still have Sam Darnold, and they'll probably trade him for a number two. So, okay, Zach Wilson in a number two, or Sam Darnold, number 12, and then now number one, number one, and a number three this year. It's a hell of a commitment. Yeah. But but I don't think you can if, – if you're tra- changing coaches, remember now, this is, the, this is two coaches for Sam Darnold. Right, I mean, who I'm having a mental. But who was the Jets coach Sam Darnold's rookie year? Ooh. Todd Bowles. Yeah, was, was it, it Bowles Todd, still? Was, yeah, was it Bowles or was Adam Gase? No, yeah, you're right. It was Todd Bowles. Todd yeah, because Gase was, was two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let, let's be honest now. Bowles, who looks like a pretty good coach now, is a DC. He couldn't do anything with him, right? Yeah. I mean, nothing. Yeah. He got fired with him. Yeah. So now you got the guy that you hired right off of Miami. Everyone liked him. That's why they hire. Coaches don't get hired the year they get fired, typically, especially if they don't have a great pedigree. And they said, nope, this guy's so good. We're going to change the rules and, you know, and go against convention. And then he fails there. And I know that it's unfair with Sam Darnold, not to mention that he had mono. And I mean, come on. And at some point, I think if you're a third regime, do you really want to get a stink on you that that uh, I, listen, I got no problem. What I would do if first of all, they seem to really like Zach Wilson. Yeah. I would do a similar thing to what I think the 49ers are going to do, and it's a good transition. When you have a, a legacy quarterback that you know's got talent but just hasn't put it together yet like Jimmy G, and you could say put it together the one year, but okay, why not let them both stay in camp? Why not? I mean, now, if you got a guy like Zach Wilson that you're so high on, maybe Sam Darnold's just a distraction in camp. But I, I don't care. I mean, to me, remember when, when um, Russell Wilson got drafted, Seattle brought in, was Matt it Matt Flynn. Flynn? Yeah, Matt Flynn. And it was, exp- I mean, remember, Wilson was a third-round pick. It was just another dart at the dartboard. And the fact that he became a franchise quarterback, why not let Sam Darnold stay and see what happens? I got no problem with that, but the guy hasn't produced yet. 
And we can act like he has, but he hasn't. And, and last thing for me, Jonas, on this, it goes to show you, it's no one doubts Sam Darnold's physical tools. We just don't understand what it is. What confluence of qualities and traits lead to a good NFL quarterback? Tom Brady went number 199. There's no science to this. We know what you need. We just don't know all that you need. We know if you lack height, you can't do it. If you're five foot five, you can't do it. If you got a weak arm, you can't do it. If you're a learning disabled, you can't do it. There's all these mental, physical tools you need. But then we still – every quarterback draft in the first round has all those. The question then becomes, then what? And that's the secret sauce. Yeah, and I also, to your point on the, if you bring in a quarterback and you keep Sam Darnold on the roster, a la if you keep Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster, depending on who San Francisco goes at number three, if you've got a quarterback who is so afraid of competition that he melts down, that's probably not the guy for you because we saw that with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz melted down. Before Carson Wentz, Sam Bradford was upset that they drafted uh, Carson Wentz and they ended up trading him. So I don't don't look at this as – you know, if the Jets take Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold's automatically gone. Same, similar with San Francisco, if whatever quarterback they take, whether it's Mac Jones or Fields or Trey Lance, I don't think it's an automatic that Jimmy Garoppolo gets traded. They traded for Garoppolo and they sat him five games when they got him. So, Here's why, and we'll see what's trending in a moment, but here's why I think that it would be smart to keep Jimmy G. It's because if Jimmy G were healthy, in fact, I would be willing to make a following bet. If somehow a deal could be made that guaranteed Jimmy G being healthy, which is obviously fantasy, I think San Fran capped him and wouldn't even have traded. Agreed. I think his lack of durability. It's one thing to be, oh, like maybe the, what do you think, 12th, 11th best quarterback when he's healthy? Mm -hmm. He's right, you think? Yep. Yep. But when he misses half his games, how do you do it? So isn't that the perfect spot? And that's why, and I know the talk is, and in fact, let's do this. There's been some rumors about who San Fran's going to take. I'm surprised by him. We'll talk about that. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Straight Out of Vegas here on Fox Sports Radio. You can listen to the show as always on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He's the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. Now, do you object to Mr. Dan Byer delivering on our tees before we even get back from it? It's like, no. I'm saying there's ru- – and he's like, I got that rumor. It shows that uh, we're in sync. You know, it shows, uh, it, it, yeah, it shows that Dan is good at his job is what <laughs> yes, it shows. Yes. He's on it. But to me, that is the conversation, right? And Sims seems to be connected. Uh, and, again, I like that Sims is willing to have a contrary opinion. I really – I hate consensus thinking. Because if you agree with me all the time and you're on my team, you're irrelevant, right? It's like, I know what he's going to say, what I say. It, I want another you know, perspective. Sims is able to do that, right? Yes. And it's fascinating how he's not backing down where he's saying his Zach Wilson's pro day was so much better than Trevor Lawrence. I'm a Trevor Lawrence skeptic. Right, so I might be wrong, and serious people I respect, guys like Mike Lombardi, they think Trevor Lawrence is as good as a prospect as they've seen. So I trust it. I just look at well, I kind of trust it. I just look at the reality. Trevor Wilson, or check that Trevor Lawrence, 
has underperformed against good teams. And when you're, I think there's only been four or five games his entire career, he wasn't a double digit favor. So when you're, and it's funny, we were looking at it, and this will be my last point on the quarterbacks, is when we looked at Zach Wilson, what's the concern? Strength of schedule, right? Competition. Yep. yep. But if you actually look, BYU was favored this year by less average points than Clemson was favored this year. Now, think about what that means. It means that relative to the teams, Trevor Lawrence and Clemson was better than their competition. Now, the raw competition was better that, that, that Clemson played, meaning BYU wasn't as good as Clemson. So the difference is that, yeah, the players were better that were going against Trevor Lawrence, but the distance was more for Clemson. Well, what does that mean to me? It means that a quarterback, it's not exactly always who the quarterback's playing. It's how the players on the team, his team, do against the other team. So if the teams, if a guy beats a block or something and sacks him, hey, he's down. He doesn't complete the pass. And in general, Clemson had a bigger edge over the competition. Now, occasionally, how good the players are might be, oh, that cornerback can close on it or whatever. So I'm not saying it does. both don't matter, but in general, Trevor Lawrence had more of an edge with his team over the opponents than Zach Wilson did. I think that's noteworthy. When we come back, we got two Elite Eight games. We're going to break both of them down, and if you're betting them, hey, you're going to know who to bet, and if you're just watching them, you're going to be smarter watching them. That's coming up next. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. And RJ, the Elite Eight tips off coming up less than an hour from now, less than a half hour to be exact. And we've got Oregon State, your Oregon State Beavers that you need to get into the Final Four to win your bet on seeds there against Houston. Right now, though, on pregame.com, the Cougars are an eight-point favorite. Oh, and remember, it's about 50 after the hour. This is when we do better than 50-50, baby. (laughs) All right. Oregon State, we talked about it. They have been hot, hot, hot. They've won seven or six straight games as an underdog of two to one or more. So it's one thing to be a small underdog. Two to one or more, winner, 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 winner. All of them, you know, by definition, if you're two to one underdog, you're only 33% chance to win. And obviously, the more means less in those cases. It's an amazing run. So much so that $100 on Oregon State to win that first game. And then you let it ride, let it ride, let it ride. Every time would be over $300,000. hundred becomes over $300,000. That's how unlikely this run has been. Now, Ken Palm, who does a power ranking that's really well-respected, and he does projections on the games. He has Houston favored by nine. The spread is eight. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you the market is rating 
the recent Oregon State run better, more highly, I guess is the way to say it, than Ken Palm. And that's going to be the debate, Jonas, is if Oregon State, if their truth is the last six games, they might, maybe they should be favored in this game. I mean, it's a, it should not be eight, if, if that's their truth. But if that was their truth, why was it that they needed to win the Pac-12 to even get in the tournament? So sports betting 101 is about the, one of the keys is how much do you wait recent? How much do you wait prior? What's your feeling on Oregon State in general about is, it, is the last six games the truth or is the entire season the truth? It feels like we'll know early in this game. The game that they're going to lose, we're going to know early that they're going to lose because it's just going to go poorly from the get-go. It's not going to be one of these they play hard until the end and then they lose on a butter, buzzer beater. It feels like they're going to get out, they're going to trail to Houston, and I don't know if you want to call it luck or momentum or whatever you want to refer to it as, will clearly not be on their side anymore, and this run's going to come to an end. Houston is one of those one of two teams that is in the top 15 on offense and defense. And history tells us that teams, this is NBA, this is college basketball, basketball in general is your ability to play at least well, not poorly, on offense and defense is key. The only two teams in the top 15 remaining, Houston, offense, defense, and Gonzaga, and the defense has even ramped up. Last 10 opponents for Houston, they've held seven under 60 points. Under 67 out of 10. When Houston holds a team under 60 this season, their average margin of victory, 31 points. 31 points. Personally, I'm going to go with a lean, a lean only on Houston here. I don't like it. I'm leaning that way. I think that the Oregon State, the Pac-12 love, the Oregon State streak has this number deflated a little bit. Lean on Houston. We've got a number one seed in action coming up later on tonight, RJ. It is the second half of the doubleheader at the NCAA tournament in the South region. The number one Baylor Bears are a seven and a half point favorite on pregame.com, taking on number three, Arkansas. Okay, now Ken Palm has this at seven. So we're saying Baylor by seven. So we're saying that line's about right. Now, Baylor had a run where COVID was an issue. So they had a COVID pause in February. And after that, they were 0-3 against the spread. Three next games, 0-3 against the spread. They were 2-1 straight up, but they fell short by expectation all three times. And it paused them from February 2nd through February 22nd. That's an extensive – I'm going to do this in my head. That's 20 days, Jonas. <laughs> now, if you, if you look at it and say if you remove those games and then maybe you shave off a little bit before and a little bit after, the rest of the season, Baylor's been awesome. I mean, clear number one seed. It was Baylor and Gonzaga, one and two, two and one the whole season. So then this COVID pause, the drop-off, and and Baylor got moved back to the pack with Illinois, with Michigan. I wonder if that's true, because against Villanova, Baylor was only 3 of 19 on three-pointers. Now, they entered the tournament as the best three-point shooting team in the entire tournament, 41%. So if you have a team that's been great most of the year, they shoot threes like crazy. In the Sweet 16 round, they only hit 3 of 19 
and they still win by double digits against an experienced Villanova team with a good coach? Telling you right now, I'm going to go with a strong lean. So tonight of the two plays, I like Baylor better. Baylor's a strong lean. I'm not going to bet it. Maybe pizza money. But boy, if you miss threes like that and still win and you shoot threes well, I feel optimistic. Baylor is a lean and we also lean Houston. We are straight out of Vegas here on Fox Sports Radio. You can check out the podcast at foxsportsradio.com for a full preview on both games in the NCAA tournament. If you missed any of that, get there now. The games tip off in about a half hour from now. We are back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 o'clock Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio. And you can always check out the show on the iHeartRadio app. 